Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Andrew Schreier with another episode of Talking Addiction and Recovery. We are still in September and celebrating Recovery Month. This episode digs a little deeper into the seriousness of the topics we discuss, and that's because it can mean life and death for someone out there. Out of all the episodes in this podcast that I would want people to listen to, it would be this one. As a matter of fact, I'd rather have someone listen to just this one and no others instead of listening to all the other ones and not this one. So that that's how important it is. Like I would want people to hear this one out of anything. Ditch the rest if that means you listen to this. Obviously, I'd like it if people listen to all of them. But this one is probably one of the most serious topics we could get to because it could mean life or death for someone out there. I started doing addiction counseling nearly 15 years ago, and I was working in a group home for adolescence for the first eight years in my career. Throughout all those years, I never lost a client due to a drug overdose. It was very grateful for that and blessed that we were able to help a lot of kids at the time, teenagers, um, you know, work with young kids to really try and help them with issues that they were going on with. But throughout all those kids that we worked with, not one of them was ever lost to a drug overdose and very, very thankful for that. Since then, going from a group home to a halfway house to a residential treatment program, an outpatient mental health practice, and now to a Medicaid assistant treatment program, there have been too many clients and patients to list now that have experienced fatal overdoses. And I don't count how many there are. I do remember the names, I do remember the faces, but the reason why I don't count is because that number more than likely won't stop anywhere. And the fact that when you get to that point, one is is too many. And the amount that we experience is really hard because at the clinic, we, d- we definitely work with the opioid dependency. And that is one that definitely has led to a lot of the overdoses that you hear about with the heroin and the fentanyl and all those other opioids. And... This also includes counselors that I supervise who are also losing patients to an overdose or their patients who have family members or loved ones who experience an overdose, as well as even some of the family members and loved ones like parents, siblings, and spouses who have come to counseling due to the grief and loss of someone. A colleague of mine is starting a group, a support group for specifically people who have lost someone to an overdose. So this is happening all over the place. We hear it in the news. And I've experienced that a lot throughout the years as this has continued to grow and grow. And it's definitely one that hits home a lot with work that trying to do as an addiction counselor. And I know if it hits home on a professional level, it's definitely going to hit home even harder personally for some of you out there listening. So This is one where it's buckle up, listen, it's going to get pretty intense at times, but that's because the seriousness is there. And that's something you can really tell with me where I use a lot of different techniques and ways when I'm working with patients and and clients and family members and loved ones. There's times where, you know, I use humor and there's times where that's appropriate. And there are also times where people know that I'm dead serious, where this is no joking matter. This is what I need you to listen to. If there's anything you're going to take away from it, this is what I want it to be. And this is one of those things. So today I'm really here to talk about a drug. And throughout this podcast series and in the profession as an addiction counselor, we talk about plenty of different drugs. We, in the addiction aspect, we t- often talk about how these drugs can cripple the individual, damage families, destroy communities. We talk about the interpersonal, economic, social impacts and such at times. And we, we talk about everything from, you know, the traditional, so to speak, alcoholism to the opioid epidemic to stimulants and its rising use. We talk about the synthetic marijuana, marijuana. We talk about the vaping, which is a big issue that's going on as well right now. And we talk about so many different drugs and how the addiction to them causes such problems and how it can literally destroy and kill the individual and that impact then on the family members, loved ones, everyone around them, on people within that have coworkers and that spreads out into the communities and the impact on that. And when it comes to like the hospitalizations, the incarcerations, all the treatment, all that kind of stuff, like we talk about how drugs is going to harm someone and kill them. And that's always been the message. Like I remember that being the message back in the D.A.R.E. program about drugs. But today I'm talking actually about an entirely different drug 
And it's a drug that I believe has the potential to help do the opposite. And I'm not talking about a cure or a form of treatment, so to speak, but this drug can prevent morgues and graveyards being filled up with our loved ones who are struggling with an opioid addiction in particular. So the the drug that I'm really talking about is naloxone. So let's get right into naloxone. What is it? Well, naloxone is a medicine that rapidly reverses an opioid overdose. So it's an opioid antagonist, which means that it attaches to the receptors and reverses and blocks the effects of other opioids. So naloxone can quickly restore like normal breathing to a person if they're starting to slow down or if even stopped because of an opioid overdose. But naloxone has no effect on someone who does not have opioids in their system. And it's not really a treatment. It's not like, here, this is going to treat your opioid use disorder. And it's not going to do anything to other drugs either. So if someone's using like opioids with like cocaine or opioids and something else, like it's not meant to do anything with that, but it's supposed to stop an opioid overdose. It can literally bring someone back to life. And naloxone is a safe medicine. There are three FDA approved formulations for it. There's an injectable one, an auto ejectable version, and a prepackaged nasal spray. The prepackaged nasal spray is the one that's uh, called Narcan. And those two, naloxone and Narcan, get talked about a lot. You'll hear people refer to it as Narcan, but that's the more, um, I'm not sure if it's a more accessible one, but that's the one that's being pushed a lot more, provided a lot more. I remember when I was first trained, I've been trained three times on naloxone. The first one I was learned was the injecting kind. And thank goodness that there is a nasal spray because it is a lot more... It's a lot easier to administer, and it also it's more comfortable to do if you're ever in that position. So that is what it is, and when we look at it, is who might need that? Well, let's look at some of the populations that would be at risk. Obviously, people with an opioid dependency, people who are dependent upon opioids. In particular, following people who have like a reduced tolerance. So what that means is people who may have been... Um, in detox, people who are released from incarceration, people who are in treatment and getting her out. These are often scary times. And I often refer to these as important transition times when people have experienced moments of sobriety and they leave a certain place such as jail or treatment and they return to using. So they've been in treatment, they've been sober, or they've been incarcerated and they're sober and then they get out and a return to using is very scary because they often play what I call catch up and use the same amount they used before. Their tolerance, however, has reduced significantly with being sober and their body cannot handle the same amount they used prior to entering treatment. This combination often has fatal results and unfortunately we see this happen a lot when someone does thankfully get sober and has some clean time and all of a sudden they relapse and it leads to a fatal overdose because the amount they use was nowhere near the tolerance they had before. People who inject opioids are also at risk. People who use prescription opioids, in particular those taking higher doses. People who use opioids in combination with other sedating substances such as benzodiazepines. People who use opioids and have medical conditions such as like HIV, liver, lung disease, those could also have a combination because of what's going on in the body. People taking other people's prescription opioids or people giving it to friends or other people to sell. This is concerning because when it's something's prescribed, the doctor is prescribing it to that individual person. And when someone else takes that medication, that amount that they've been given wasn't necessarily matched up with that person. So someone who can take 50 milligrams, so to speak, 60 milligrams, because of the, the impact that was going on and the cost that was happening, and because of that, there was this proposal that if there was they're going to track your overdoses, and if they came and saved you once, they might not do it again because we can't afford to save you. It's costing us too much money. Uh, that never happened. That got shot down. There was never a bill passed about that. But I'm not mad at the person for thinking that way because I'm not in that position where I have to think about how our EMTs and our fire departments can't keep up with the costs of trying to deal with this and save this. And I, I understand that. And those are the drastic measures that have been taken. But all the things that I hear about and also the cost of 
getting the naloxone out there. It's not cheap. A lot of things being done, grants, donations, a lot of stuff being done to try and make naloxone cheaper and more available out there to people. It does cost a decent amount of money if you want to go out and purchase it yourself. So then there's also talk of all this money that's going towards that and, and everything else. So I get that there is a lot of costs that go into trying to do something like this that could save people and the impact that that might have in other areas. But the one thing that just is amazing to me is when this is introduced and this is talked about, the issue of the cost of saving someone is first as opposed to what are the costs of not saving someone how come that is not the first question well what's it going to cost us to save this person how is this going to dent the pocketbook how is this going to deplete the resources how is this going to take away from other things we are trying to do The first question should sometimes be, what are the costs of not saving this life or saving these lives? Let's talk about the cost a family member has for a funeral. Let's talk about the cost of someone who might have had a chance to save someone. So now all of a sudden, what happens to that person who experiences and sees the overdose or someone who knows someone who overdoses? Let's talk about the cost of the grief and loss of all the people who have lost family members, loved ones, co-workers, and yes, patients and clients to this. But those are costs that aren't just easily measurable to say, well, this is costing us X amount of dollars. There's really no way for any of us to weigh out the other costs of losing these people in our lives professionally and personally. Absolutely. So instead of dealing with the aftermath of providing naloxone and them still being alive, we bring it to the costs of all that it would take to give it out there. And to me, I always had the philosophy of, hey, We keep someone alive and we can deal with some of that stuff later. We can handle that or we can figure it out. But once someone dies and passes away, that's something that we can't correct. We can't come up with a plan to fix that. We can't pull together and say, okay, this is what we can do about it. If that was a money issue, we could do that. I'm going to tell you another story about when I worked in a residential cheering program, there was one of our sister brother programs that was a halfway house and this was a story that definitely opened my eyes out to how this could quickly this could happen and the potential impact well there was a third shift member who was downstairs in the office and on the second floor there was a resident who woke up in the middle of the night and went into the bathroom and the third shift worker started to think you know he's been in there a little bit too long something doesn't seem right he had the whatever it was instinct gut feeling bad vibe whatever you want to call it something was telling him to go check on that and as he did he actually had to push the door open because the person passed out from an overdose and was leaned up against the door, thankfully called 911 and the individual survived. But I share that story because of what would be the cost of that person not surviving. You know, what if that worker, and let me tell you something, I respect third shift workers, I respect the workers who aren't necessarily doing the counseling just as much as the counselors because these are some of the people who deal with these issues and have these instincts to go do those things. How many of us may have not paid too much attention? How many of us may have thought that the person was in the bathroom? Oh, it was just for a while 
or we got stuck doing something else. Uh, maybe they weren't even paying attention to it. They were doing some chore. They were doing some other work. They didn't even notice it. And this person didn't because of that. This individual resident there is alive because of that. But that person easily could have died. There's no way around that 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 person easily could have been dead. And then I asked that is what would have been the cost of that? That individual not being there anymore. What about their family? Their significant other maybe or their kids or their parents or siblings. People also close to them who would be going to that funeral. What about that staff member who would be going up there and witnessing someone who overdosed and that person and find them dead? What about the other residents in the halfway house? What that would have been like for them and for the rest of the staff to come in and, and that would have happened. So not only are we talking about saving a life also has the impact of helping out others but also the cost of not saving a life could do a lot of damage to other people as well so when we look at costs there's always this economic price tag thrown on it and part of it needs to be is yeah there's an economic price tag but what about the other costs that we often don't think about and especially the cost of not doing something like saving someone's life Another big controversy with naloxone really sparked an outrage with a moral hazard issue. And this was some research study that was done, and it was called The Moral Hazard of Life-Saving Innovations, Naloxone Access, Opioid Abuse, and Crime. And this one was published back in March 31st, 2019, And in it, it talks about how that naloxone and the life-saving drug actually makes things worse. And man, it started a little bit of a controversy. And I first heard about it actually because I was listening to the Hidden Brain podcast, which is really good, I'm telling you. After listening to my podcasts, (laughs) go and listen to the Hidden Brain The podcasts are great. They're phenomenal. But the one that got me really interested in in this topic was one about called the Lazarus drug in which he talks about naloxone in this study. And the authors of the study wrote that increasing opioid use happens and that opioid-related mortality overall happens because it provides users with a so-called safety net and thus encourages riskier drug use. So now that I have this life-saving drug, I can go out and be more riskier because I have a safety net around me. And apparently this paper set off a what was called a Twitter storm and controversies among a lot of different people. And the moral hazard was discussed in more of like an economic term, but not an ethical one. And once again, what I just talk about, the economic part of it, not the part of saving someone, which would be more of like an ethical one. It describes how increasingly risky behavior in response to policies or innovations that lessen associated consequences, which it kind of goes into the moral hazard, which is like driving more recklessly with auto insurance than if you didn't have it, or seatbelts is another example. But it got really... I don't want to say destroy, but it was really met with a lot of criticism ranging from medical experts to harm reduction experts to professionals in the field to family members, loved ones. Like it was really caused a lot of controversy and I've read parts of it. I haven't gone through all of it. I haven't combed through it and I'm not placing any blame on what they're talking about or saying, but there's a couple of points to mention about this in regards to the work that I do as a addiction counselor. And like, as I said before, plenty of times when it comes to the book, I wrote talking addiction recovery, that's the podcast addiction recovery is the book talking addiction recovery, which is a podcast here. A lot of the experiences that I'm sharing are the ones that are occurring between me 
and the, the patient or the client sitting across from me in the, the counseling session or when I'm working with other counselors and therapists and they are working with clients or patients who have addiction issues, these things come in the form of when we are working with that face-to-face, talking with a person and working with them. So that's the perspective I'm going to bring when it comes to this. So one of the parts also became uh, an issue of Narcan parties which were described as people going to parties specifically with Narcan so that they could use and bring people out of it. And from according to some other articles that it was inaccurate and public officials warned of the danger that this was something that was more of like an urban legend. Well, I'm sharing my perspective and my experience. And in all my years of doing this and having patients and clients who have been using opioids and using other drugs and who have used naloxone or been given naloxone, trained in it, or if they've experienced an overdose, I've never had a patient or client say they're going to use at a Narcan party. And let me tell you, that's really fishy when something's being said that you've never heard in a setting like the one I work in in the patients and clients who I work with. So there's plenty of stories I hear, plenty of ones that after a while you go, man, I never heard that one before. But that's when I'm hearing it from a client or from a patient. You know, you say, wow, I've thought I've heard them all and I've never heard this until a client or patient said this. I'm saying this for one of the first times that I have never heard this Narcan party from any patient or client. I've never heard it from a counselor who had a patient or client reported to them. It is something that I have never, ever heard about people going to or having. So that's always fishy because if it's not being said to me by a patient or by a client or by a group of clients or patients are somewhere in this realm of the work that we do in a clinic and and what gets said and what gets talked about, that's fishy. I've never had a patient or client say they are going to go use or use more or use more potent drugs because they now have naloxone. They're going to use regardless. I've never had someone tell me oh i don't have naloxone well i'm not going to use then oh i don't have naloxone i'm going to cut it back a little bit i have never heard anyone say that in fact we have more patients who do not complete the naloxone training and receive it for free than we do who complete it So if you're telling me these parties are going on and people are using it to use more, get high more, use stronger drugs, wouldn't we be seeing people wanting naloxone for free? Wouldn't we be seeing more people wanting it? Wouldn't that be a higher demand? They can go get high more or get higher safer, which is what it's kind of talking about. Wouldn't that be something that they would want to use? But we don't. We don't see as many people get the training for the naloxone or to get the own prescription for the naloxone or get it even for free with us through some of the, the organizations that we work with. We see very few people, which is a whole nother issue. We're not even getting into that today. But the fact is because no one's really getting it or not a lot of people are, this idea that people who are using are then using the naloxone for a safety net does not seem to be such a huge thing. And I'm not saying it's not happening anywhere. I'm not saying that this is a, there's no one in this world who's doing that. But I'm telling you, with a place that works with over hundreds of people and in my lifetime working with people in the thousands, I've never heard that happen. I've never had someone say that, okay, this guy's got it, or I know someone who has it, that means I'm pretty good to go, that I'm safer. There is no one that believes that 
there is someone next to them or close that's going to revive them or save them for an overdose. In all the reports I've ever read, and I've read some, a lot of drug charges, paperwork, you know, probation, court documents about things. I have never read anything or heard of someone getting caught with possession of drugs and they were also in possession of naloxone. I hear about drug paraphernalia. I hear about things, you know, that's used to cook, administer, all that. I'm not going to list all those, but just to say the, the materials, the items that are used to store and administer the drugs. I've never heard of it. Oh, and they also found naloxone with them. I never heard a patient or client tell me that either. There are not many people that I'm aware of who are purposely trying to overdose or who want someone to come take their high away, which is what naloxone would do. I don't have a lot of people telling me my plans to overdose and because of overdosing, I want someone to be able to take me out of it then and save me from it. Not many people plan on overdosing. And I'm not saying that no one does because I have my own theories and suspicions on people using overdoses for that exact reason. And But I'm not saying everyone does. That everyone doesn't go out and do that. And no one's going to want it to get the high taken away because it's going to take the high away. They're not going to feel it anymore. Why would someone go out, pay for the drugs, to have that high taken away? Doesn't work. Who would want that? I None of my patients or clients have ever talked about wanting to do that. People who are using are often not trying to do it in front of others or have them know about it either. So the idea that people are using this as a safety net, they're not believing the safety nets right around the corner. They actually want the safety net, to be honest, far away. When they're using drugs, heroin, fentanyl, prescription pain meds, they're not doing that with the hopes that police officer is right around the corner. Or that some EMT or ambulance is right there waiting to get the call that they just dropped in the street. They are not doing it hoping that their parents or their family members or loved ones or significant others are in the room next to them waiting to give it to them. Most of this using is done in secret. It is done hidden. It is not done with the hope that someone is around them waiting to administer it. Addiction thrives in darkness and in secrets. It is done with the intent mostly of people not knowing, keeping it hidden, keeping it away, and not wanting people to find out. We often find out about someone's addiction or we find out about someone who has a drug problem through one way, many ways, but one of those ways is when someone has an overdose that family that I talked about discovered their daughter had a cocaine problem when she took cocaine had fentanyl in it overdose went to the hospital up until that point did not know so she wasn't banking on her family calling the ambulance to report an overdose because she didn't plan on overdosing she didn't even know what she was taking she thought it was cocaine if someone unintentionally consumes a substance as opioids or fentanyl, I can almost guarantee they would hope and pray somewhere nearby has naloxone because it was not their intent to overdose. But that just goes along with the whole problem, which is that saying that people giving it out there is allowing people a safety net. You're ignoring someone who may not even know that that's what they're doing who may have no knowledge that that's what it is. And part of it is that the idea that it's risky, that like, yeah, it's going to increase 
them engaging in risky behaviors. You know, driving a car is risky. Um, there are plenty of things in this world that are risky in which we've created safety or harm reduction methods. We got seatbelts for that. Just because driving with a seatbelt, you know, some, and you see that in the movie. Like, isn't that a, a stupid, <laughs> the, the person, I mean, it's not stupid because it's probably smart, but all of a sudden you see this chase scene and someone snaps the seatbelt in and they're like, all right, here we go. Now I can go do this. I get that point, but no one's doing that with naloxone. I don't know many people who are getting it for themselves and then they're strapping in saying, hey, let's use as much as I can and it's okay now because I have naloxone. We're talking mostly about getting this in the hands of the people who might come across someone who has overdosed. And these people aren't planning on having someone around to do that. And let's be honest. Drug use will always be risky. I'm going to say that. It will always be risky. In my book, I talk about control and how a lot of people like the idea of control. And one of the things I talk about is once you ingest a substance, and I'm even talking about a simple substance like a double cheeseburger, bacon, blue cheese, that's my favorite. When I eat that burger, I lose a lot of control as far as what that does when it goes in my body. Where it goes, what it does because where it goes. If I could control that, I think a lot of us would be in a lot better shape than we are today. Some of us, so to speak. When we take a drug, even a sip of alcohol, puff of marijuana, a hit of cocaine, or pop a pill of a prescription opioid. Once we do that, we lose control. We don't control what that does to our body. We don't control where that goes or the impact it has on us. If we could, people wouldn't end up in the positions that they are in. If you could control that, do you just decide not to and you like the hangover? When you're drinking a lot, if you can control it, no, people try and control the side effects, but you don't actually control what it does to you once you ingest it. So I talk about that because once you take a substance, you lose control. It's going to do its thing. And drugs can do a heck of a lot of things, let's be honest. And opioids, prescription pills, heroin, fentanyl, carfentanyl, is going to do its thing. And one of those things that it can easily do is kill somebody. And nowadays, more than ever, drugs are risky. I was already talking to you about what we find in other drugs and stuff that's being mixed and cutting costs and all that kind of other stuff. And you don't know what you're getting. It's one of the problems when it's not regulated. And I, I can admit that. That's an issue. We're seeing that right now with the vaping stuff and the CBD oils. When we don't know what's in it that can cause a lot of problems for people and everyone thinks my guy oh my gosh out of all the my guys let me tell you about this the my guys that aren't going to testify on your behalf the my guys who are not going to pay your hospital bills the my guys that are not going to get write letters while you're in jail or the my guys who are not going to send you flowers when you're recovering from an overdose there's it's it's about money money and power you can tie that into it they like you because of your money you want you want to tell stop buying drugs from them and you'll see how good of a friend they are but i share this because and i use this example of when i went to um i went to cafe zupas which is right by me it's one of my favorite places um, I go there and I'm ordering at the counter and at the glass counter, there is this sign that says warning. Some of these food items may have been on a conveyor belt that had peanuts and you see these all the time, you know, like and that's not the exact wording, but you know what I'm saying? There's a bunch of these things that, that go into the wording where your food may have been in a room where a peanut 
was also in. It may have brushed up against it. It may have been in the same air as it, but be careful warning. And then because of that, there's a lot of other things that go into place to make sure that stuff doesn't happen. Well, guess what? Drug dealers aren't doing that. They are not making sure that the quality control in what they're giving you is safe. They're not looking at, okay, this much I'm going to give won't kill somebody. They don't care. If that amount puts money in your po- their pocket, they stop caring at that moment. They do not look at it as a fact of we're trying to give out safe drugs. In fact, when it comes to stuff like fentanyl, to mix it and cut it because it's cheaper right there, they're giving you something deadlier because it gives them more money. So we got to stop with all this, you know, my guys, don't worry, my stuff is safe. You, you don't know. Nowadays, you don't know. One of the last things I want to talk about with the controversies is the EpiPen. And you're like, what? What, what about the EpiPen? Well, I read a lot of articles really from people, and this was more so of like some parents and whatnot of um, that why aren't we using the money or why aren't we doing this with EpiPens to get it out there? And I'll be honest, I have no problem with the EpiPen. I have no problem with somebody um, or some grants or programs given to have EpiPens more available at all. And my argument with this is it's not like professionals and people and organizations are saying, hey, instead of EpiPens, let's do the naloxone. And unless I'm wrong... Unless I haven't heard that or that hasn't been talked about or that's been some side issue, I don't know. But I really have no acknowledgement that there was ever, hey, we got this stash of money and we're going to choose between EpiPens and Naloxone. And right now we should do Naloxone and we're going to table the EpiPens. I don't think it's a it's a this over this. The idea of the naloxone being with the defibrillators, throw an EpiPen in there. I I would have no problem with that. I have no opposition to that. But one of the crazier points to this is an EpiPen helps save someone from a experiencing um, a reaction to something, an allergic reaction to something, gets stung by a bee or eat a peanut. We talked about peanuts. Let's stick with that. And that might help them. Could save them, right? Isn't that why we do it? Don't we have those things to potentially save someone? Now, are we just allowing them to go out and have a peanut again? Are we allowing someone to go have their allergy again or to do something else? No, we're doing it to save them because if we don't do that, something could happen. And yet the idea of EpiPen versus Naloxone got into this debate, which to me is just a little crazy. So those are some of the controversies that get into it as to why Naloxone is facing a lot of barriers and obstacles and getting out there, getting to the hands of the people that could use it and need it, and most importantly, saving lives. Then you got to ask yourself, why might someone not want to administer? Why would someone personally not want to do that? And in my case, that'd be in my shoes, why wouldn't I? Think about it in your shoes. Why would you might not want to? Maybe inadequate training. I don't know what I'm doing. I agree wholeheartedly with that, where... I would want to know what I'm doing. And right now there is so many different programs in the community that provide free training and even free naloxone. Even if it's not free naloxone, you can easily look up how to administer it. It's not that hard. Another thing is when we look at it, there are concerns with liability or culpability, all those legal jargon terms is what if I administer it to someone? What if someone sues me? All that kind of stuff um, and everything like that. The one thing that I do know is that administering naloxone to someone will not hurt them. Even if they don't have opioids in their system, if you just give it to me right now, it won't hurt me. It won't do anything to me. 
And I know that there are concerns with that. And there's a lot of things that have been going on. And to be honest, there is, I can't guarantee anything as far as how the law goes. And the law also varies when it comes to, you know, who you are, you know, stuff if you have a record, which is one of the reasons why I believe people who have an addiction don't attempt to do it is because they don't want law enforcement's involvement or they don't want to get in trouble. There's a lot of research going around on things like Good Samaritan laws and all this kind of stuff. We've even brought in a lawyer, talked to a lawyer, we've talked to police officers, and there really is no crystal clear answer, but a lot of the efforts is being pushed towards that. If you are someone who is administering it, you are covered under a good amount of laws that protect you because you are considered a good Samaritan or even like a responder to an issue, which is important. So there's a website I'll give at the end that can help out with that. But one of the things is I understand why someone might not want to choose it to do it themselves. I understand where there might be some fear as to what might happen, but to not want people to do it in general or to not want anyone to do it or to not want it available or for it to not want people to be able to do it is a different matter. So because you might feel uncomfortable with it doesn't mean that no one should be able to do it. So I want to look at some of the points we're missing with this when it comes to the naloxone. What are we missing when it comes to this life-saving drug with all these controversies and whatnot? And one of them is that naloxone is not intended to do some things. And I want to make these very, very clear. Naloxone is not intended to prevent someone from using. Stopping someone from wanting to use again after an overdose is not the intention of naloxone. So when someone does use and they have an overdose, it's not meant to say they're never going to use again. That's not what it's intended to do. It's intended to bring them out of that current overdose and do just that. If naloxone needs to be used, the ship of I don't want them using has sailed. Okay? So if you're upset about that, don't take that out on the naloxone. Naloxone is not meant to prevent someone from using. There are other things out there that are supposed to help with that, but naloxone is not one of them. It's not... I mean, that that ship's just... It's sunk. It's gone. They have used. If we're administering naloxone and it is helping someone overcome an overdose... The idea of them not using, that ship is sunk. It's gone. This is what is going to stop the ship from sinking and never coming back up again. And sometimes those ships sink far before we can. But that's the difference between being able to save the ship, bring it back up versus we can't anymore. Which happens when someone dies. Fatal overdose. Naloxone should really be considered almost like a band-aid, but it's not the solution to the opioid epidemic or crisis we're facing. It's sufficient enough to save the life of a person who is actively overdosing. It does not prevent future overdoses, as I said, nor does it address the long-term treatment needs of someone with a substance use problem. Saving someone from an acute overdose is merely the first step, and it can't really be achieved without naloxone. You want the person to get help? Well, when they're overdosing, that's the help that they need. Talking them out of it, having them experience the consequence of overdosing and dying is not going to change that. That might be the very first step some of these people need before they get treatment. I'm going to talk about that again in a second. Another point that we're missing is what about the rural areas? When we did the naloxone training, one of the things that we were heard was sometimes the EMTs that are not able to make it there in time. You got places that are remote, places where there are even um, 
volunteer firefighters, volunteer EMTs. They get called in. They have to go into the firehouse and they have to get everything ready and then come out there. It might be a good amount of time before they get to somebody. And even if they do have that naloxone, they might not get there in time. So if there are places and people in the community who could have this, that might save that person's life. Because the longer they are under and the longer that they are not breathing and oxygen doesn't get to the brain, the chances of damage and significant damage is just increasing and increasing and increasing. And sometimes the people are out there aren't able to get there in time. In rural areas, places where there's lack of resources, that can be a really, really troubling issue. And I can't imagine what some of them deal with on a daily basis when it comes to that kind of stuff. The other thing that I want to talk about is we're missing the point is that there isn't this isn't just for quote-unquote drug users and people with an addiction. There are plenty of people who use opioids, plenty of people who come into contact with opioids who, because of it, they might need this because of the impact the opioids could have on them, especially if these are people who are not often using opioids. Their tolerance for it could be low, and if they do take some amount or a large amount or an unintended amount or an unintended substance in the first place, their tolerance could be very low to opioids, and that could easily cause a fatal overdose. And who might some of those people be? I mentioned some of them before, but when we look at it, the elderly, stories about elderly needing it because of forgetting that they took some medication. They may have taken twice or three times the amount not knowing. We also talk about children. Sad stories of children getting into medication. Pills that have been laying around. Um, and you've heard of other things like um, children being at a... I remember one, I think it was in Miami, that there's a story about a child who was playing on a playground and they touch something or whatever but the child actually ended up experiencing an overdose from i think it was fentanyl and they had an arcan the child there was stories of pets who need to be nar given narcan naloxone because of coming into contact with it one of it was a story of a police dog who had to because he was sniffing and came into contact with some of it and the dog had to be narcaned emts medics police officers those are ones that there's also been stories of police officers doing searches because of fentanyl and the amount that it could take to kill somebody and the topical application of it, that that's been one that um, was going on. I can tell you that scared me a little bit when we are in residential treatment and we have people who are doing intakes and they come in with their possessions it was our responsibility to go through those bags and it was our responsibility to look through pockets. And we were, we were told to, you know, put our hands down the pockets, search for areas where they may have contraband and sneakers and clothes and all this kind of stuff. And a lot of times these were residents who had no idea where this stuff was for the last three, six, you know, months, a year, even they were incarcerated. Um, so one of the things that we're looking at is how do we um, deal with that when it comes to some of this stuff with now I'm putting my hands in something and we go through that and what if I touch something? That's scary. Really scary. Super scary. Because there are times where I remember I didn't use gloves. And who knows what could have happened if I touched something that could have had that on there and the topical application of it or whatever. Um, you know, who knows? So I, I worry about people who work in those kind of settings. People who do not willingly know they are using opiates or fentanyl or carfentanil, vaping products and all those substances. Like I said, they're using things. They have no idea what's in it. So do we just say, oh, well, they, they were using, so too bad? Or they should have known what was in it. No, that's part of my argument as to why people shouldn't. Because you don't know what's always in it. Um, another point is that if you do not believe in the use of naloxone, what is your other choice? So think about that for a moment. 
what's the other choice when someone is overdosing and they're discovered and if it's not naloxone what's the other choice what do you do would you call 911 would you want them to go to a hospital do you know what 911 or hospital EMTs nursing staff and all that do you know what they would do give naloxone that's what they would do Are you opposed to them doing it because they are, are you okay with that? I guess I should say because they are nurses and doctors and EMTs because if you're okay with them doing it, the idea of naloxone being used should not be a problem. It should be supported because there are no other ways I've asked. How else do you stop someone from an overdose? How else do you save someone from an overdose? Well, it's naloxone. That's what's used. That is how you get them out of it. That is what they will give you. Anyone who I've known who's come out of a fatal overdose, not a fatal one, my apologies, who's come out of an overdose, has told me I was narcan I was on a naloxone drip. That is how they are saved. Now, I know one of the other points about that is there's an argument, well, treatment's the answer. Let's put more money into getting treatment and to do that. Well, let me tell you something. And I'm going to be blunt, straight to the point, straight shooter as I tell some people. Dead people don't go to treatment. The other type of people that don't go to treatment are people who are sober. People who need treatment or who need to go to some kind of rehab or medicated assisted treatment. They are the ones who are probably using We rarely admit people who don't have a current issue going on. Residential places probably aren't going to admit you if you are not currently using or if you have just recently used or something of the sort. Some people got into treatment because they had an overdose, they were saved, and then through some means they were put into treatment. Well, that's they were arrested and they were given an ATR. They were given a chance to go to treatment instead of getting in trouble. They're in drug court. Family put them there after. They asked for it. They referred to it. A peer specialist helped them get there. But maybe one of the things that's going to help people get into treatment is when they are saved from an overdose. That could be one of the first steps. We can't get people into treatment if they're not alive. They can't get into recovery if they're not alive. They can't get plugged into mental health services, community support groups, physical health needs. They can't hold their jobs. They can't be with their families. If they are not alive. So instead of looking at naloxone as being a barrier to that, an interference of that, and we should be doing treatment instead of that, we need to look at the exact issue or potential that naloxone and saving someone might be the very thing that gets them into treatment. Because I'm telling you, not doing it won't get them into treatment. It won't. So if you want to advocate for treatment or for them getting better or for them getting help, then naloxone might be the thing that does it. So all of this comes down to two things I'm going to finish up on. One of them is I really truly believe that part of this problem with naloxone has really nothing to do with the medication itself, which has nothing to do with what the medication does with save somebody. But I really believe that it's the ugly stigma of addiction behind the controversies. I really believe that. 
because in other areas what others do we talk about where we think we should not save someone's life somebody doing other things poor habits bad habits poor eating healthy eating all of the risky behaviors someone gets into a car accident driving 100 miles down the road doesn't wear their seatbelt they can do a car crash we don't say don't save them someone eats unhealthy has a heart attack drops on the floor and we don't say don't help them but when it comes to people who are using drugs and people using substances that are illegal and and, you know the two you know heroin fentanyl you don't have it prescribed prescription opiates if you don't have prescribed but prescription opiates are still legal but because of those things we look at it as is this really a saving a person's life issue or because they use drugs is the issue and letting that interfere with it could cost a lot of lives could cost a lot of lives we're okay putting safety measures with a lot of other things and harm reduction strategies for a lot of different stuff and i believe drug use deserves the same attention and focus and effort because it could save their lives i can't counsel someone who is not alive i can't help other counselors as a supervisor with their patients and counselors if they or clients if they are not alive. So I think until we overcome the ugly stigma of addiction, we are going to continue to have the barrier of naloxone to people and to people who could do a lot of good and help reduce these just jaw-dropping, stomach-turning numbers of people who have died from opioid overdoses. So I'm going to make some final points about this. Know K-N-O-W before you say no to something that could save someone's life. By listening to this, you know a little bit more about it. But get educated. Go to a training. It's not going to hurt you to go to a training. You're not going to be forced to do anything if you go to a training and listen to it and hear about it and ask questions and research it and figure out what's going on. But you should know about something before you say no to something that could save someone's life. We need to continue to engage in these kind of discussions with individuals, parents, families, loved ones, communities, organizations, and all the sorts. I have these types of conversations with plenty of people, and it's not going to stop. I'm going to keep having them because as we have them, we continue to run into some of the similar barriers and obstacles that we are facing for the organizations that are trying to get this out there to people to the families who need it to the individual from everything the conversations need to keep happening and by doing that we also need to keep trying to increase access which is a lot of different programs a lot of funds a lot of all this kind of stuff is going on to help out and it's fantastic and Hopefully we can continue to push towards that and make it more readily available to people who need it. But if you don't want to have it on you or keep it in your personal possession, that doesn't mean we should discourage others from doing it. Just because you might have your own concerns or worries doesn't mean you should stop others from thinking about it or making that choice or discourage them from doing it. I understand people might have a fear of how they could be impacted or if they're going to be held liable. I don't think that there should be a fear of saving someone's life or a fear that this would keep someone alive. I understand concerns of administering it and it it would be a scary thing to do. I'm not going to deny that at all. The other part is, I guess I would poise the question, what's more important than saving that person's life? When someone is experiencing an overdose, providing naloxone 
or calling for help is the only thing you can do at that point. If they experience a fatal overdose, there will be nothing you can do after that. So if the most important thing isn't to save their life, what what is more important? Is it to prove a point? Is it to say as enough is enough and now they can face that consequence? Do you really look at shielding them from death as a too much of a burden that enables them to use? If you really want someone to learn that lesson, realize that will be the final lesson and will they really learn it? And the answer is no. Most people don't know they are going into a overdose or plan on an overdose. So the lesson will not be learned by that person. That's for sure. There's some resources I want to give out, and then I'm going to talk to you about a final story. Uh, if you go to prescribe2prevent.org, you can learn more about naloxone and other things. If you go to drugabuse.gov and look under publications, you can find a lot more on naloxone, opioid overdose, life-saving information. Uh, prescription drug abuse policy system, if you go to www.pdaps.org, you can find out some things about some of the laws and some of the policies regarding some of the stuff with the whole uh, Good Samaritan, all that kind of stuff. The Food and Drug Administration has an Aloxone page, which provides more information, which is at FDA.gov. You can also go to the CDC's website. Um, CDC.gov has something on Naloxone, which goes over opioid overdose awareness things. And it also goes into stuff about Naloxone as well. Please do the research, look into it. As I said before, know before you say no to something that could save someone's life. And the last thing I want to share is a story of firefighters, EMTs we had come in. And part of our community outreach is to just get to know people out there who may run into patients of ours who might come into contact, who also might run into people in the community who also might have addiction issues and how can we say, here's who we are, this is what we do, who are you, what do you do, how can we work on this together because we believe this is not something that one person, one place can fix or solve or do as much impact as we would as we work together. So we brought in these paramedics and this sticks with me and this sticks with me a lot with this whole issue of naloxone is they talked about at the end we were talking about how the revolving door and sometimes how we see same patients a couple of times they've been in treatment multiple times we've seen people come in succeed we've seen people leave and use again and come back and we've seen all all the kind of stuff and one of the emts talked about how they experienced that as well that they've saved people from overdoses multiple times they've they get familiar faces and there was this whole discussion that happened about, you know, how we deal with that and the impact that that has on us. You know, does that make us lose hope? Does that build hope? Does that, you know, what does that do to us when we experience that, when we see the same person walk through the door and um, try and get readmitted into treatment and we see them again? What's that like for the firefighter EMTs to um, report to a scene and see the same person who has overdose? And I thought this answer was the light bulb moment, the, hey, I can't even say anything about that. That's golden response. So this EMT talked about how they're fortunate that through their training and through what they're supposed to do when they get those calls and no matter what is happening, the only thing that matters is to save that person. I want you to think about that moment. They arrive on scene and no matter what caused it, no matter what was going on, no matter whose fault, responsibility, whether someone could have prevented this, whether someone was doing something they shouldn't have, whether it was something that they could have done differently, none of that matters except for saving that person. And I think that hits home a lot with all this is that nothing should matter 
when someone is overdosing except to save that person from an overdose. And that lesson stuck a lot with me that when it comes to other professions, even when it comes to being counselors and supervisors and treatment providers and family members and loved ones and all this kind of stuff, a lot of things get thought about and asked instead of just simply being like, this is, we need to save their life. If they're overdosing, naloxone is what's going to do it. All that other stuff can matter afterwards. And that's what they talk about. They said afterwards, that's all other stuff. The guy eating the cheeseburgers who had a heart attack, that's deal with that after. The guy with the overdose, deal with that after. But when they arrive on scene and someone is apparently in an overdose, their training and what they're told to do is to focus solely on just saving that person's life. That has stuck with me to the point where I realized that is why I choose to be trained in naloxone and why I choose to personally carry it on me. And also why I choose to have these discussions and to do community outreach about it and talk about it and share about it with other people. This was a much longer episode than normal. I expected that. It was important. I still think it is. I can't emphasize enough how valuable this could be. There's a lot of people that come to mind that I had wished naloxone would have been available. A lot of people that I know who would also wish it would have been available to people in their life. And for some reason it was not made available or for some reason it was not there. And I'm not blaming people that it wasn't. But now if we have the chance to do that, this could be the difference maker in someone's life. Thank you for listening. More next time.